1: Heavily, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. <laughs> oh, yeah! Virginia may be for lovers, but Friday it is for the art. It is a groove, slightly transformed. Just a little bit of break from the combat norm The award-winning morning combat back at you in your face hole this Friday. What do we got for a date? April twenty second, two 2022 in a loaded combat sports weekend. I am Brian Campbell. That BBC with the BDE, the beige one, the uh, American Alpha sliding right back at you. Uh, You may come here, though, for the man next to me. He's wearing a tablecloth. He's the, got the best non fighter fight takes this side of the green moon of Endor. It's Luke <laughs> Thomas and brother. Uh, let's get fired up. I mean, it's Tyson Fury weekend. Bellator's on fire. Let's do this shit, all right? Yeah.
0: A, and we had PFL on uh, Wednesday night. I finally finished the Batman on HBO Max, which was uh, pretty great. As you mentioned, Bellator tonight, Bellator tomorrow night, Tyson Fury tomorrow afternoon, UFC tomorrow night i mean fight fans i gotta tell you this is the best time in the history of life to be a fight fan quite 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 literally like this is it this is what it means to be a good combat sports fan and have all the opportunities so enjoy
1: i haven't seen you that happy since they opened up a new tattoo parlor around the corner from you and you already put in a request to get some time
0: i did so they're opening up one not far from where i live uh district tattoo it's going to be on uh, near union market if you're in the dc area and uh, one of the guys that's going to be the head operators is, uh, uh, you know, he trains jujitsu and he does phenomenal work. So I've already, I'm actually talking to him right now. I'm setting something up for my birthday in the first week of August. I'm going to get, I'm going to get uh, more pieces on the outside of my right arm, BC.
1: All right. All right. Keep building that sleeve. Maybe go up all the neck as Sean Brady once asked you, but Luke, we don't have a lot of time today to fool around and be ridiculous. Cause we're going to give you the fastest, hardest 90 minutes of Straight fight talk preview predictions, all that, and then some tall, pale, and handsome. It is your boy BC Luke. Thirty dollars, bro, thirty dollars to look this young, and I got cut, wash, back massage, hot towel on the face, head massage, Luke, and I'm still seventy dollars richer than you. So just I know, but the to-
0: problem, but the problem is you live in the middle of nowhere, no, and not so. True. And so rent is cheap. Well, I mean, your area is nice, not cheap. Not
1: cheap at all, you know, Luke. But... That's, the, that's what you, like, I come Commer- from, Luke.
0: Commer- I would say this, commercial real estate where you live relative to where I live is going to be a massive difference.
1: I just want place. to state, although, Luke, I'm from the industrial armpit of Connecticut, I do live now in a very, uh, you know... Uh, highbrow area where it ain't cheap to do much, Luke. I just wanted to let you know. But uh I also wanted to let you know about this fine label that pays us, and it's Showtime, and what a great time to become a subscriber. Showtime.com offering you 30 days free right now to stream their shit, and it's good. We got Bellator tonight, Bellator on Saturday night, Showtime Championship Boxing, Showbox, movies, all that good stuff, documentaries. Check that shit out. Our boy W. Kamau Bell giving it to you Cosby style. You're going to want to see that as well. Also, we got fantastic merch right here, okay? Morningcombat.store. You want the mug? You want the t-shirt? You want Luke's dead face on your chest? You can buy that right now. Say hi to RJ when you are there. And uh, Luke, no other sponsorship reads to pretend that they are um, actual conversations and not uh, pieces of paper that we're reading out. But we do welcome all sponsors this side. This side, okay? Yeah, listen, you wanna... if
0: you would, I mean, we'll sell dick pills, gas station dick pills, Delta A, anything you can find at like the scummiest gas station.
1: <laughs> we'll hawk any of it. Just give us some yeah. cash. <laughs> You're right. Always there for you. It is MK. That's pretty gross. uh That's about it, though, Luke. Okay, no more jokes, no more rap lyrics, no more, you know, we're not trying to entice the kittens here. We're trying to get into the fights. Let's do it. And the biggest one of this weekend, undoubtedly, goes down Saturday afternoon. 2 p.m. Eastern is your main card start. An expected main event walk of around 515 Eastern, London, Wembley Stadium. Saturday, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, your lineal and WBC heavyweight champion. He's back at it. He says it'll be his final fight. Nobody really believes him. But one thing I do need you to believe, people, is that Dillian White is a tough-ass test. 12-1 12-1 and 1 since his 2015 knockout loss to Anthony Joshua. A fight, by the way, in which he hurt a young AJ and had him on the ropes. And the only loss in that stretch avenged by knockout against Alexander Povetkin. Luke, it's going to go down. It's a big deal. Six-foot-nine Fury. The heavyweight of this era, more or less, against a guy who's been waiting, hungry, 34 years old, tough as balls, fights at a fast, high pace, And brings a big punch. Today, Luke, on the scales, we got a little bit of news. As Tyson Fury coming in, uh, some say 11, some say 12 pounds lighter than his last fight. Now, Luke, as I tee this up to you, uh, Fury weighed in fairly heavy in his last three fights, taking his father John's advice to build up more bulk and look to attack more, rather than being that slick boxer he was in the beginning of his comeback in his 2018 draw with Deontay Wilder. What do you put stock in in terms of the reason for Fury to come in so thin this time around against White?
0: Yeah, here's the context. So as you mentioned, 264 today against White. I tweeted this out a little bit earlier. These are only his last three opponents because he fought Wilder three times, but it would be his last five fights. So basically 2018 or so and up. So he was 277 the last time against Wilder, 273 the second time against Wilder, 254 and a half against Valine, that fight that, you know, where the cut in a different jurisdiction could have totally ended things. 263 against Schwartz, who was badly overmatched, and then 256 and a half for the first time against Wilder. To me, this is a bit of a Goldilocks situation, BC. 277 might be right for Wilder, especially that way he was fighting him in close sometimes and turning him and like a little bit of what a little bit of what Errol Spence was doing against Ugas. And obviously going to be heavy A little dirty handed.
1: boxing for you, Luke, right? A little dirty yeah. boxing?
0: Yeah, a lot of dirty boxing. When we went through it, he had a whole guard where he would wrap it over hook and then post the shoulder on one side. I mean, it was a big part of it. Plus, you know, you're gonna want your power punching there and your feet under you in that kind of a way. But against Dillian White, who also is a big puncher, he's not a Deontay Wilder right hand power puncher, but dude, he he can thump. I mean, he can put can he put Tyson Fury's lights out with one clean shot? Yes, he could. He has that yeah. kind of power. But what i think that you see from fury is the right call to me this middle ground is it's going to give him enough bulk and enough heft where he's not going to get muscled around too much or you know and not have faced too much resistance in that way and i think one of the things he's going to have over white is again is white the power puncher that wilder is no but he is a very very (coughs) dominant puncher in his own right and so what i think you're going to want to see from a guy like fury is fury has just more overall boxing skill Including but not limited to use of angles, g- nimble footwork, putting himself in position, getting out of position, and being a little bit lighter, a little bit. He looked a little bit leaner too visibly. It wasn't just a different number on the scale when he stepped up. I was like, "Wow, Fury looks uh, pretty pretty thinned out here." That's a design in my part to tell you he's probably going to be moving forward. Yes, but he's going to be cutting angles. He's going to be not moving in straight lines. He's going to be kind of all over the place. So he needs to have the cardio aided by a little bit less weight so that he can get that mobility working. And I think it's a very smart call. I like it. We'll see if it works. But it seems to me that like he's definitely got the right idea heading into this matchup.
1: Yeah, I would agree with it. Because, look, he bulked up to to body Deontay Wilder, as you mentioned, to absorb better the, the potential punching power coming back at him. And let's not forget, he got dropped twice against Wilder in that wild third fight last fall. But Dillian White's different from Deontay Wilder in that he's got a better delivery system. He may not be as concussive with one shot per se, but he certainly can take your lights out, as you mentioned. He did that to Alexander Povetkin in the rematch after getting viciously knocked out in their first meeting. But White can get the punches off much better than Deontay, who when you take away his jab, which Tyson Fury did routinely, it becomes sort of all or nothing with that big right hand. If you don't know Dillian White's style, six foot four, so he sort of... On the lower ground of the super heavyweight size that he's gonna to need to be. Yes, he's gonna give up five inches to Fury in height, seven inches to reach, and that's just what it is. The, the, I mean, Fury is a <laughs> he's a freak of nature. He's six foot nine and he's quicker and more nimble than everyone else. But Dillian White is sturdy, he fights at a high pace, he can get inside and body you and Luke, he's long suffering. He'll be in there, man, even if he's losing rounds, still looking to push that pace. And hurt you. So if you are Tyson Fury, I like this a lot. I like this idea of coming in a little bit more nimble. Because Luke, he's going to need to to mix the boxing with the punching. It's not going to be the same pure boxing performance you saw from Fury in the first Deontay Wilder fight. But it's going to have to be a mix of that. Because White succeeds, no matter who he's fighting, at getting inside on you and essentially staying there. He's not going to get punched, you know, moved off with one punch. His technique is strong enough, even though he's sort of rightfully labored at, labeled as a big puncher and a pressure fighter. Um, I, look, I think that this fight, when it got announced, speaking from more of a general casual fan standpoint, which I'm not, but I'm trying to speak from that, we weren't overly excited because it's not Usyk, it's not Anthony Joshua, it's not Wilder, but if you look up and down this division, Dillian White is right there, and he's been right there. This is a very good fight on paper. Now, the odds tell you, I think, what they should. Tyson Fury, minus 550 is your favorite. Dillian White, plus 400. But Luke, from the final face-off this morning to Wednesday's press conference, these guys have been very cordial with one another. They traded hats today at the weigh-in. And I think what this is showing you, mixed with Tyson Fury's comments, mixed now with the weight he came in at, is he very much respects the challenge across from him. This ain't, you know, no disrespect, but this ain't no Otto Valen or 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 that guy Schwartz that he faced, or uh, remember that guy surf- surfing Safari that Tyson Fury faced during his. This ain't those guys. This is a legitimate tough test, and I think it's a big enough fight to warrant the wild attention it's getting. A uh, ESPN Plus pay per view, ninety four thousand tickets sold at Wembley Stadium to break a new UK record, indoor or outdoor. This is going to be a massive event. None of us believe Tyson Fury isn't coming back. But Luke, do you believe what I believe? That even if Tyson Fury fulfills what the odds are telling you, that he's the rightful favorite and in all essence, he should win this fight. There's nothing about this fight that's going to be easy. Nothing. And if history has told us one thing about Dillian White, he's going to keep coming until you knock him the hell out. That's what Fury may have to do, Luke <laughs> Thomas. True or false.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Well, one quick note, and I'll answer the question more directly, but one quick note if you we, we saw some of the pictures there from the fight, the first fight between Pavetkin and White, where White lost. Of course, he rematched Pavetkin and I think stopped him inside the fourth round, something like that, fourth or fifth. Um, but how did it, how did Pavetkin get him? He got an uppercut or underneath an extended punch from White, and so he had to do that at an angle and come underneath. This is what I mean. It's like you you have to if you really want to beat White, knock him out or otherwise. You really can't just try and be a bull with him. There's some of that that goes into it, but I think to get that next level, you have to show good boxing skill. Obviously, Pavetkin did in the first fight, and I think Fury will hear. Um, but yeah, in this fight, BC, I'm not, I forget the nature of your question. I'm sorry, because I, I went on this You know, scandal. really
1: just, just echoing how tough of a, of a fight this should oh, be yes. for Fury, and how he's taking it what it should be, which is a tough challenge. Yes,
0: here's the thing I'll say about Fury. He overall shows the, the the better skill basically every time he fights. But BC, I wouldn't, and I would not say, I would not say that he fights in spurts. I don't think that's right. But I'll say this. There are certain times in the fight when he's not as built into the razzle-dazzle. Maybe he's trying to look for a, a little bit more of an offensive opportunity. He gets hit. I mean, we, we saw him get dropped in, what, what was it? The first and the, the third uh wilder fights multiple times now multiple times he got hit and against Otto valine how did he get that cut was it I don't, I don't think the cut was a direct headbutt although it could have been but in any case um no Wallin, it was a punch well, which, was which a punch, is yeah. what
1: made which is what made that so no was it a punch? i'm trying to remember luke i remember valine sticking his thumb in it well here's here the
0: deal Here, the, this is the deal even if he didn't get on the headbutt because i cannot remember at this point the point was it wasn't just that it wasn't like valine was getting his ass kicked and it he just he was going to luck his way into potentially a cut giving him the title he was winning several rounds and even in that 12th round dude he was going for it against uh, Tyson Fury I mean it was an amazing effort so like dude there are times there are times when Fury has been noticeably touched up the problem with doing that against Dillian White is dude Dillian White's got very crippling power physically strong can back you up so not only can he hit you hard if he gets you along the rope line dude he can keep you there he can have especially the corner as well This is why that lighter weight is going to come into play. So yeah, dude, I think the odds are right on this one. Tyson Fury is the better boxer, and I mean that in the larger sense of the word, the full-on array of boxing skills. He has the reach, he has the height. But there are times in heavyweight fights where he just can't keep up the same level of dominance, and a lot of times his opponents have found some pretty interesting moments to make him look maybe a little bit more vulnerable (coughs) than his sterling record would otherwise indicate, he is going to have to be really crossing his t's and dotting his i's, which I think he'll do. But yeah, is yeah. is an upset in play here in ways where we did not think it necessarily against Schwartz or even before the Valine fight. Yeah, I, this one is significantly more in play. In fact, you know, for as big as Wilder's power is, I, yeah, I give White a much better chance of beating Fury than I think Lee, I think I ever did for Deontay yeah, Wilder.
1: Now, no, shout out to Mikey Morrell, producer, for reminding us it was a left hand for Model Valine that. Right. That, that opened that cut and started that somewhat dangerous sort of turn of events in which Fury... Look, I believe, by the way, I've said this before, I think that Fury in that fight with the cut against Valine. remember before that he was more of a, of a slick boxer on his comeback, which he had been, you know, against Klitschko. I think that was the turning point in him realizing, because he had to turn into the bigger body fighter walking down uh, Valine, leaning on him, almost fighting dirty to try to get back into that fight. I think that was the turning point in creating this... New version of Fury, which put on the more weight, the bigger weight, brought in um, Sugar Hill Steward from the old cronk gym, Emmanuel Steward, the late Hall of Famer's uh, nephew, and really looked to get more offensive. Now, he was more offensive in the second two uh, Wilder fights, and it worked to his advantage. He's going to need that mix, though, this time around. But there's also a shakeup, I think a positive one, in Dillian White's corner, bringing in the services of Harold Shadow Knight. And if you don't know who he is, he is also from the Cronk gym lineage, had studied under Emanuel Stewart in Detroit, and was the co-trainer for Lennox Lewis throughout his entire uh, heavyweight championship run, or at least, uh, you know, w- once Emanuel Stewart came on board um, after, I believe, the first McCall fight. So this is a guy who's been there a long time, has that same Cronk style of, of, of teaching a guy to come forward. So I think it's all coming together that we should expect massive fireworks I think the 94,000, the setting is going to bring that forward. Um, if you're looking, by the way, for some MK coverage, uh, how about this? Immediately after that fight, Saturday, dinnertime, early evening on the East Coast, uh, about a half hour after, we're going to go live on the Morning Combat, youtube.com slash morning combat, with an instant reaction. BC going to take you home, so get ready for that. But Luke, as this fight starts to break down, is there anything you're looking for early on, based on the styles of both, that could give you an idea at which way it's heading
0: yeah definitely the real estate because I, you know obviously I feel like when you're working angles that means you're going to be kind of all over the place so work rate will be one but the real estate too and what do I mean by that obviously there's going to be Fury is very good remember we did to Wilder in the second and third Wilder fights where he stayed double jab distance away so Wilder would have to leap in and he could catch him or get out get out of the way I'd be curious to see what kind of range he maintains against White but more to the point who is backing up Who is backing up? Now, in a lot of cases, who is backing up is not the most relevant consideration, especially in boxing where you have guys who have very nimble styles around that, like an Landi Lara. But what I mean to say here is, in the heavyweight division, if a guy like Fury can lean on you, or conversely, if a guy like Dillian White can corner you, that could be real trouble for the other guy. If they're in the middle and they're just kind of turning around one another, I'd say that probably favors Fury. I just don't imagine that White's going to give into that. But what will Fury do to challenge it? Does he fight off the back foot or is he going to fight off the front? Really curious to see if that Sugar Hill Stewart style carries over from the Wilder fights into this one. But but to the point, BC, we've never seen Fury fight someone with the Sugarhill style other than Deontay Wilder. And so this is something of an interesting kind of first test. How does this work on someone who's got more boxing skill than Wilder? Maybe slightly less power. Interesting question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Fury's going to have to balance the boxing and the punching, as we sort of said. It's going to be interesting to see how that is dictated because Fury's not a guy who, you know, and he says it in the interviews. No, look, he says a lot of shit in interviews, including (laughs) this will be my final fight. But one thing he says that I think is a kernel of truth is he doesn't necessarily develop a game plan and go to carry that out as much as he adapts to his opponents, and he always adapts very well. Uh, Luke, he's going to have to, you know, keep this at distance throughout. But when this fight does Come to the inside. Obviously, as you mentioned, you know you want to stay out of the corner. You want to stay off the ropes. That's going to give Dillian White a chance to really dig in, go to the body, and try to land some big shots. But you know Fury's going to have to also punch his way out in certain situations to to gain that respect and do his best to keep Dillian White at the end of his jab. And look, you know it's weird. We didn't think of Tyson Fury ever as a puncher in most of his initial rise. In fact, sometimes people would say for that size, you know, he's got feather fists. He's a boxer. You look back at the Klitschko destruction in 2015 and it was a calculated footwork, slapping punches, but just constant movement and a busy guard. Would you say that he has rebuilt himself, meaning Tyson Fury into a at least legitimate puncher with both the added bulk and the mindset change behind uh Sugar Hill Steward?
0: Yes, I do think there's been a big change, right? I mean, he's still very much a boxer. We talked about the Wilder fights where he would push Wilder in a direction, switch things up on him to push him in a different direction, and then catch him at the end of it, setting traps, working behind the jab, fighting on the inside, fighting on the outside, nimble footwork, good evasion. I mean, Tyson Fury can do it all as a boxer. But to the other point that you raised, marching a guy down was sort of one point. But the other one was this, dude, he, you know, the added bulk definitely helped his overall power punching, no doubt about it. But it was more the offensive mindset married with his skill. What do I mean by that? If he has added more bulk to his punches, that's going to help. But the thing that really stood out to me in the second and, and the third Wilder fight was again, which will be relevant here, catching Wilder with openings, getting him to 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 either back up and move in direction or throw, and then catch him at the opening. And then, what do I mean by this? Does he have the biggest power in the world? No, but he's got more due to the bulk. And two, he's catching guys with these great openings where he can just throw everything he has into it. When he's kind of faced off with a guy, you would see this in the first Wilder fight. Remember he would take his jab and flick it like he was trying to get a booger off of his hand? That was just done so he could like score a little point and then move in a direction. Now what he's trying to do is cleanly make contact as hard as he possibly can, or at least you know, hard as in, and, and mechanically efficient as he can with these great openings. So it's not like his punching power went way up. It went up a little bit by virtue of some of the stuff in the strength and conditioning department and weight management he's done. But the the targets of opportunity that he has now set up and selected allows him to put even more heft than he would if he's got a real end of the reach mobile game plan that he was kind of using before. This allows him to sit and fire versus tag and go.
1: Yeah, and I think he's adapted well to the Sugar Hill Cronk style, which is obviously from Emanuel Stewart, who took both Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko and sort of re-, not reinvented, but re-energized them with the idea of, look, you're a big man. Be the big man. Lean on your opponents. Use that size. Use that frame. Wear them down. So if you're Tyson Fury, inevitably when Dillian White gets inside... You're going to have to do some of those, even quasi dirty tactics, leading with the forearm, pushing down, leaning, trying to wear your opponent down to to later pick them apart if they're fatigued, which you know m- makes you look like you've got more power than you do, which is a smart tactic. But look on the flip side, if I'm Team Dillian White here, you got to go with the body. You got go mm-hmm. to go with the body a lot. You've got to even take the mindset of you know I'm not necessarily here to win rounds in the first half of this fight. I'm here to t- strategically you know, put that money in the bank to the body to try to make Tyson Fury as stationary as possible in the second half of the fight when I believe Dillian White, who has shown very good 12-round stamina throughout this 12-1 and run he's on in the last seven years, to try to put it on late and go for the knockout. Luke, if I'm Dillian White, I'm not trying to win a decision here, dude. I'm strategically setting up for the big finish.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Also, we've seen this too. Like For example, White could back Fury up against the ropes, and then what happens? How good is Fury at doing this and moving and leaning on the ropes? This is what MMA fans miss about boxing. When you get up against that cage, it has no give. You are tall. But when you get up against the boxing ropes and you got somebody like Tyson Fury, he can lean so far out that the punches, the big overhands, they go right in front of him. It's crazy to watch that. So I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to find a way early to bring his hands down. You have to transfer that defense. And, of course, it will slow down his footwork. It will slow down potentially his offensive firepower late. You have to decide that I'm going to not give away the first half, but I'm going to decide that the first half of this fight is going to look a certain way that may not be advantageous, Also, that I can go all in chips on the middle in the second half of that fight. That's the key. But in that first half, BC, he also has to be careful not to get too um, uh, predictable, too, too simple with the attack. He still has to mix it up while just finding ways to really go to the body overall. So I like that you're the offensive priority of the body, but even then, he's
1: going to have to be clever and then quite forceful about it. And he's obviously, if you're Dillian White, you're going to have to do something that gets Tyson Fury off script. If you're out of you opened up it with a cut and a clean punch. And I don't mean to, I think earlier I, I accidentally kind of just overly disparaged out of and threw him in the same category as Sefer Safuri and Sh- Tom Schwartz or whatever the hell that guy's name was. Dude, Oliver Lean's better than that, and he he had his opportunity. He found his moment. And he went for it. God, he was dirty as shit trying to stick that thumb in there. If you're Dillian White, you need something that's going to dramatically shift and create an opening in this fight, and, and that could be hurting him to the body. It could be wearing Fury down. It could be one big punch, but when, that, you know, when and if that big one lands, that's when Dillian White has to go to work. He's going to have to understand the circumstance, understand that you know, will the judges more likely favor Fury if it goes the distance? I don't know. They're both from the U.K., more or less. Uh, Dillian White, born in Jamaica, but, you know, has represented the U.K. for a long time. But yeah, Fury, but, the what, but slicker, White, cleaner White boxer. White got booed
0: at the weigh-ins, B.C. White got yes. booed at the weigh-ins.
1: I mean, look, he plays the villain role willingly. If you're new to Dillian White, he's walked out of many a press conference in the past <laughs> complaining about his lack of pay. He refused to do the opening press conference for this fight because he said they didn't give him pay-per-view points. He didn't show up to some of the other press events. It's sort of who he is. He's cantankerous. But um, if you don't know about him, I mean, he just turned 34 a few weeks ago, and that's that's prime. That's young. That's youngish prime for a heavyweight. Now, look, he's been through the wars. He got one punch by Pavekin as we mentioned, but... For what we don't know about White, again, from a casual standpoint, because all the talk in this heavyweight renaissance has been around Fury, Wilder, Joshua, and at times Usyk or you know Ortiz or whomever, Andy Ruiz for a, for a hot second. Luke, would you say that Dillian White, maybe not in terms of accomplishments, but just terms in uh, in terms of danger and skill, is what no worse than the fourth best heavyweight right now? I mean, where where would you put him? If if an MMA fan is watching this and going, I don't know who the hell Dillian White is, where do you put him in the hierarchy right now in terms of danger at the moment?
0: Ooh, that's a good one. So you've got Usyk, Joshua. You've got Fury.
1: Luis Ortiz, um, Andy Ruiz. I'd put, ooh. Would you put Ortiz above White or not? No, dude. Okay, I'm going Fury number one. Okay. Usyk too, because he just beat Joshua. So let's see what he's got. Right, let's okay, see if he can do enough. it a second time. Yep. Who do you put third there? Who do you? Who's the third best heavyweight of the moment? Is it still AJ? Because he knocked I would White out. S-
0: I would say AJ, even though he avenged the loss to Ruiz, and obviously he had the loss to Usyk. But Usyk is very good, and uh, Joshua has the win over Dillian White. So that's kind of that's kind of big.
1: I'm going. Uh, then I'm going Dillian White four, and you mm. know Luis Ortiz is older and faded, and even though he won against. Uh, What's his? Who did Luis Ortiz just, just beat? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Kate, Charles Martin. But, you know, he got, he got hurt in that, and he didn't look great, and it looks like they're going to do uh, Luis Ortiz against Andy Ruiz next after that Triller thing failed. Whatever, who cares? But White is right there. So, Luke, here we go. It's time to make the pick. 94,000, the center of the sporting world, will be in London Saturday afternoon. It is what it is. Who wins why? What are we going to see?
0: I'm going to say I have a weird feeling that this fight, it's going to be unusual and I can't quite put my finger on it. So I'm going to say something I ordinarily never say. I will say fury wins cause I do think he'll win. I think it's going to be crazy. Something like seventh or eighth round TKO, right? And not because fury's I think fury's that much better. I mean, I've, I've been saying this whole time, you too, that white is a live dog. Yeah, fair enough. He absolutely is a live dog. I mean, I'm just sort of, I'm giving you a gut feeling answer here. My head will tell me that fury will win. So that's my real answer. But I got a weird feeling that like this might be a kind of back and forth open fight, which will hurt Fury, but ultimately do more damage to White. So I'm going to say like seventh round
1: TKO or something, something crazy like that. Okay, I've got similar to you. I I like Tyson Fury via 11th round stoppage here. Uh, But Luke, to get there, does Fury hit the canvas? Because let's remember. Yes. When he fought Wilder a third time, he was coming off an 18 month layoff due to the pandemic. It's agreed upon that that wasn't the best version of Fury that night, physically, mentally. But he gutted it the hell out. Does he have to do that essentially the same now? Not a full year later, but what? Where are we at now? We're about seven, eight months later. M- maybe my math is off. Six months later. Um, will Will we see a, a, a Fury really have to go through hell to get this win?
0: I think he might. I think he might. I think he might taste the canvas. I. I you know, again, if White has fucked this up, then no, I think Fury will run over him. You know, I don't. I, White's margin for error is not nearly as wide as Fury's. But yeah, I do think Fury will taste. Dude, Fury takes risks. He takes risks, and there are times in fights where he's quite vulnerable. And I think White will have some opportunities with that. In the end, like you, I don't see that as the deciding factor. But yeah, man, I do think
1: I think Fury's in for a tough one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be wild. I, I I think it's just all the stars are aligning here for. Uh, for, for this to be a tough-ass test, for Fury to pass it, gonna have to get off the canvas, but Luke, unless he's gonna sit down early on his shots against White, he's gonna, he may have a problem keeping White off of him. Now, maybe maybe he'll blow us away, maybe he'll be twinkle toes in there and, and dodge and jab and get out of the way, but I don't know. I don't know if that guy's there anymore. It's not that Fury's old or washed or the damage is caught up with him, but he just doesn't seem to be employing that same, you know, hit, hit and not get hit style he once did. So I think White's going to surprise us in, in in how game he is and I think Fury's going to have to knock this guy the hell out to beat him. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. Uh we all don't believe Fury's going to retire Luke. So if Fury wins here, what do you see the future of the heavyweight division uh over the next year? What 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 could be next for Fury? What do you see happening?
0: Okay. So I mean, it's got to be the winner of Joshua and Usyk, right? Which I think will probably be Usyk. Uh Now, I don't know how much Fury wants to fight Usyk over Anthony Joshua. obviously, the bigger fight by a gajillion miles, especially if Anthony Joshua wins, would be the Anthony Joshua fight. So I'll say this. If Usyk comes back, I don't know if Fury... If if Usyk wins the rematch, I don't know if Fury comes back. I think if Joshua wins the rematch, there's no doubt in my mind he
1: comes back. Not a single solitary doubt at all. Um, Yeah. That's the best I can say. I would agree with that. The reason why I would really like to potentially see... Usyk versus versus Fury, both unbeaten, is because obviously uh, Usyk brings essentially the you know some of the same skills that made Tyson Fury dynamic, but in a different package. And I think Fury would have to turn into the puncher there. I think they have to turn into the you know the bigger man and sort of fight in all aggressive style in the end because Usyk is so you know shifty and tough to beat. It'd be fun, just as if, by the way, if Anthony Joshua avenges this loss, which is in play, okay. Beautiful performance by Usyk in the first fight, but I felt AJ committed too much to boxing, in 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 sort of overly believed in his in his skills in that sense, and I and I don't think people realize how much damage Usyk took to win that fight. Um, for all we know, AJ can win that by a glorious knockout, and we could be starting 2023 with a Fury AJ all four belts, you know, in front of 400,000 Brits at some open field, whatever. With we'll, heavyweights on fire, we'll see it. Fury ain't going to sit around for that long, retirement talk or not. But I'm fired up, Luke. It is the crown jewel of this weekend. But we do have a lot of MMA to talk about Friday night and Saturday. Let's go to Saturday. Let's go to UFC Fight Night. Uh, we established in Wednesday's storylines not the deepest or best card, but certain uh, a few interesting matchups as it pertains to the top 10 rankings. And obviously that main event is right there. Former champion at 115, Jessica Andrade, moving back down to straw weight after a failed flyweight title offense. A challenge, if you will, against Valentina Shevchenko. She's a minus 210 favorite against a surging Amanda Lemos, who has won five straight is plus 175. But as we established Wednesday, it's been a lower tier set of victories on this five fight win streak. The most impressive name was Angela Hill last time out, but it was a split decision. Luke styles wise. Who has the edge in this one?
0: Um, I would say, in looking at the tape, in looking at the numbers, Lemos or Lemos, again, I don't speak Portuguese, so please forgive me.
1: Where I come from, they call it Lemos. I know Mike Lemos from Nogta, Connecticut. I know his family. They're the Lemoses, okay? What do you want from me, all right? I
0: know, I know. And but I had a Brazilian person write me, and then not just write me, they included a sound clip of them pronouncing things. And what they said was certain parts of Brazil, if you end with an S, like let's say Morais. In certain parts of Brazil, they would say it Moraes. But there's a lot of parts of Brazil where they would not. They would just say Moraes. So I guess I don't fucking know. But whatever. (laughs) What I would say is, she actually looks like the mechanically more efficient, cleaner, maybe even more nimble fighter Lemos does relative to Andrade. The problem ends up being, I'm not going to say she's a poor man's Andrade because that's not quite right. But they end up sort of in positions where their offensive statistical histories look very similar, right? Let me give you an example about this. I looked this up today just to be ready for this. Ready? Strikes landed per minute for Amanda Lemos from Lemos, 5.35. That's high. That's really high. Uh, strikes absorbed, 4.67. That's also high, but she has a positive differential. How about Jessica Andrade? 6.24 strikes landed per minute. Boy, that's a lot. Strikes absorbed, 5.21. That's also a lot. Here's my point. They have a similar dynamic where they both d- deliver a ton and eat a ton, but slightly more they deliver. However, Andrade is just a little bit higher. Plus, you look at their punching power, it's not the same. I would say that Lemos is a more accurate striker. I would say Andrade is a much more powerful striker. The numbers kind of speak to that a little bit here. 58% for Lemos accuracy, which is pretty high, 50% for Andrade. Now, BC, if you go and you look at Lamos's wins, what do you notice? Angela Hill, she scored a knockdown. Against Monserrat uh, Conejo, she scored a knockdown. Against Lavinia Souza, two knockdowns. Against Mizuki, one knockdown. Dude, she has big power and she's a quite accurate puncher. But the problem is, she makes herself a little bit vulnerable where there's at least some trading that happens as a consequence. She's not like a, a hardcore stick and mover in that way. And so, while I respect what she can do to Andrade, Andrade has a pretty good chin. <laughs> Andrade is clearly the more um, uh, decorated of the two and three Andrade is strong BC and I have seen strong fighters who are like grappling strong but not punching strong but Andrade is both she is grappling strong and punching strong it's like dude Lemos has earned this opportunity I really believe that and she is a force to be reckoned with I really believe that but fucking Andrade is a brick wall and for all her deficiencies (laughs)
1: I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I don't know if Lamos is the one to crack that code. Luke, is is Andrade the female John Lineker?
0: Ooh. I would say she's got a little bit more of a well-rounded game than him. But, yeah, it's like that. It's like that, dude. I mean, how many people can stand up to several rounds of punching from her? You could say, oh, well, Rose did it. I would say Rose barely did it because – Rose stuck it to her early, and then Andrade came back and came back. And by that third round, she was fucking Rose up, man. So, like, if that one had gone five, who the hell knows? So, yeah, there's a lot of that, dude. Like, the thing is, it's like, dude, you watch Andrade on tape, and you're like, oh, footwork is a little bit of a mess. Defensive and the fainting is not all that relative to other people you see is not the best you've seen. But then she puts the paws on them, and people just, they collapse. They can't deal with it. Or she picks them up and drops them or whatever. She is such a physical hulk that whatever her other deficiencies they're real and they can be taken advantage of but not like it would normally would be given just how outrageous
1: her strengths are it's 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 quite remarkable i want to see how she looks in the cage at this back at this weight class i say that because her two-fight run at 125 and i obviously know she fought at 135 in the past and has some nice wins but she had really built up her legs luke for that run to the flyweight title opportunity and had really become like even more stronger at digging in with the punches. She's obviously physically strong where short of Valentina Shevchenko, who's just an absolute monster, nobody really physically handles her. I want to see how much, you know, she she may have had to take off muscle to get back down to one fifteen. Maybe it's not that much, but I love the body attack she showed against Caitlin Chukagan. That was a very good win in Andrade's recent future and her ability to finish her, hurt her to the body and then finish her there. I want to see if that comes into play, but we talked about Andrade's sort of unique run across three divisions. Look, when you, I mean, she's only 30, right? I mean, so it's not like, you know, we're talking about her, you know, at the tail end of of the final chapter of her prime necessarily, but you look at the wins, dude, across three divisions, Raquel Pennington, Jessica Penny, Joanne Calderwood, Angela Hill, Claudia Godela, Tisha Torres, Karolina Kovalkiewicz by vicious knockout, Rose for the title by knockout, and then she stops Chukajian and stops Cynthia Calvillo. We are talking about, like when we bring up names like RDA or Glover Teixeira, one of the sneaky great resumes of this era, Luke. And, I, and it's not like no one knows that she's really good. She was the damn champion. But um, do you have the feeling, because sometimes people age differently, that 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 there's still a lot left in her?
0: I would say there's more left for Andrade. If we'll see, we'll see how she looks at 115. I think that'll be the first part, and then the second part would be let's she. What you can say is between the first and second Rose fight, even though Andrade lost the second Rose fight, what I would say is she showed between those two fights, and there was other ones in between, but she showed I think, or I can't remember anymore. But the point being was there was real maturity in her game. There was real maturity in her game. She is at least trying to work on her footwork. She's trying to work on her defense and setups and cage cutting. It's still a work in progress to be very clear about that but I do believe that there is a difference between the one you saw the fighter you saw at Bantamweight or early um, in in her strawweight campaign versus the one that you have now. She's really worked on that. So what I would say is to the extent that she I mean you got to bring some of these numbers down. The strikes absorb 5.21 that's just way yeah. too high. It's way you can't it's it's very difficult to be a weight class champion in the UFC when you're eating 5 plus punches every single minute on average. It's too high. So while this is the point, like you look at her takedowns per 15 minutes, she has nearly three, nearly three strikes land, as I indicated, 6.2. Offense, great. Got to tighten up some of that defense. Got to tighten up some of the greater fundamentals to put her in position. But if she can keep doing that, BC, sky's the limit, man. Truly, I mean that.
1: All right. Uh, how far away? Because I, I said Wednesday, and maybe somewhat incorrectly, that I felt this fight was more about me finding out if LeMosh is of this level, right? But, you know, you were right to say, hey, look, dude, I don't think Andrade is that far away from the top if she gets a big win here and reestablishes herself at 115. We don't know if Rose is still going to be champion. She's got a Spars rematch that's fantastic. Could she end up fighting the winner of Whaley, Joanna too? Who knows? But if Andraj wins here, how far away do you think she is from gaining what I would have to think is a marketable Rose trilogy bout for the title?
0: Yeah, not far at all. Not far at all. I would say... If Esparza wins, I don't know what they'll do. But if, A, Rose looks good against Esparza, like, you know, does the razzle-dazzle, and then, two, Andrade looks good here, even though Lemos was only sitting, I think, at, like, 10 or 11 in the strawweight rankings, Andrade was sitting at the very top, I think, of flyweight. And so I think a, a, a move down plus a dominant win on either side, or I should say on both sides, rather, would it could force a date with Destiny, which is weird because it's just so strange how Rose only seems to fight rematches all the time. It's quite wild. Or in this case, it would be a trilogy. Uh, the same opponents is what I mean. But to your point, I think there would be a lot of... This is the thing. is like, Would there be a lot of demand for it if Andrade comes out here and just bodies Amanda Lemos?
1: Yeah, fuck. There really might be. I don't think that's crazy at all. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, end of the day, Luke is Amanda Lemos on this level. Does she get the dub on Saturday night? I don't think she does. I don't
0: think she does. I mean, again, I go back to it. She eats 4.67 strikes per minute. Can you really, can you stand up to that for three, four minutes from Jessica Andrade? Now, if she's just touching you, yeah, of course she can. But if she's laying into you and those, at least some of those are hard punches from her, I, I think you're in trouble, man. So I do think that Lemos, that you saw the jab there, she stuck it in the face. I do think you're going to see Andrage have to work through it a little bit. But if Andrage starts to starts to land and can just be busy and start to get the volume, I just I just don't see how Lemos can stand up to that. Um be curious to be curious to be proven wrong. If she does, I'll say this. You know, this would be easily the biggest win of Lamos's career, and not just oh, yeah. in terms of name value, but in terms of like quality win. You know, this is only the very best of the divisions can beat Andraj. That's it. Only the very best. So if Lemos beats her, it tells you a lot about where she ends up.
1: All right, I got, I got, I got myself backfired up for this fight. I mean, it is in the women's strawweight division, which is, you know, arguably the second best division in this entire sport. Luke, one one five just fires me up. Luke, who's the greatest women's strawweight fighter of all time? I just, I'm interested to know where you stand on this.
0: Um, probably Joanna,
1: right? Well, she did get she did lose twice to Ro, to Rose including by vicious knockout Luke. so you tell me who's yeah the but
0: greatest like the, again, the people always answer this question incorrectly like who's the greatest featherweight? Um, as much as I love Max and as much as I love Volk, there's only one answer to that question is Jose Aldo. oh wow because you're looking okay. at what they did in the overall body of work in that take division.
1: that Alex take that New Zealand, all right. Yeah, no, Eugene, I mean, that, that doesn't
0: mean that neither of them can take his place at some point, but it just, you know, dude, you look at what he did in that division. It's not even remotely comparable. Anyway, the point I wanted to say was, um, dude, what the fuck did you ask? I can't even remember anymore because you motherfucking derailed me. Sorry about that. I'm a derailer, uh, Luke. I
1: asked you who's the greatest 115-pound oh, fighter greatest. of all time.
0: Yeah, so so Yoana's body of work there is probably the best, although I grant it's Rose, because she has the two victories. it, it it's also part of the resume. The thing is that Rose just hasn't done enough as champion yet. But if she wins against the Esparza, she's on her way. So there
1: you go. I'm often talking about the bodies of work at 115 pounds. I'm with you, Luke. Oh, I know All you right. are. Um, I, 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 up Instagram and down this card. Too. Luke, we have a busy show. Anything you want to talk about. We did hit the storyline previews. I told you how excited I am about this women's flyweight bout. Macy Barber, Montana De La Rosa. Which fight below the main event are you going to be most tuned in on?
0: Ooh, most tuned in, I will probably say the two that I pointed out on Wednesday very briefly, Linda Venata, Charles Jordan. Charles Jordan coming in with all the verve in the world, if you heard what he had to say before the fights. And then, of course, the the Brian Campbell special, Macy Barber taking on Montana De La Rosa. Those two fights are the ones I've sort of penciled in. Relevant fights between excellent fighters in, in this case, all four directions. Um, Venata has a lot to prove. Uh, Certainly, Jordan is trying to make a big name. Macy Barber trying to keep up the, the dominance, and, or at least the, the the comeback, I should say. And then Montana De La Rosa, I think, trying to... This would be the best win of Montana De La Rosa's career if she got it. So big big stakes all the way around. Fun matchups. I like those fights. Action fights, yeah, good yeah. fighters.
1: It's like Ruth Chris here, Luke. So much stakes everywhere. How are you sleeping, though, on the, uh, the Moldovan magnificent 16-0 heavyweight Alexander Romanov, who's taking on Chase Sherman on this main card? You never talk about this man.
0: He is good. He is quite good. I always forget about him, but uh, we'll have to see what he does. Chase Sherman, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, he was there when we went to uh, Sanford MMA and we walked in. Did you notice him? I
1: I did not. No, I saw Robbie Lola run from me. That was was my last memory there, Luke. No, he was there too. Uh, Luke, uh, CKB alert. Tyson Pedro making his first return this decade. Hasn't fought since 2018. Lost three of his last four. Didn't he have a USADA blip or did I make that up? You might have made that up. His biggest issue made that was a hamstring issue. Oh, the injury. Yeah, three-year absence from fighting, Luke. He's going to be facing Ike Villanueva. Um, Is there still time for Mr. Pedro?
0: Um, To get some nice wins in the UFC, probably. To be the prospect-turned-contender that he wanted to be, probably not. I mean, losing... Dude, you understand this because you watch other sports. Losing three years, anyone can noodle is not optimal. But on top of that, dude... You've seen it like in American football. You start seeing running backs get hamstring issues. Yes. You know, they start going downhill pretty quickly. Hamstring issues are really difficult to recover from. Now, it may not be as important for a career like mixed martial arts. One doesn't really know. We'll have to see. And I think this might be a winnable fight for him. But, like, you know, do I really see him as a title contender given the in- the, the nature of the injury where, by the way, the surgery was botched. He had to go back and start everything all over again again. You know, this is a devastating injury and a a very difficult comeback. Even if you do, I'll say this for Tyson Pedro, that Tyson Pedro is even back is remarkable. And if he wins, truly remarkable. I think putting like title aspirations on him is is asking way too much of almost anyone.
1: Agreed. And uh, it was an injury there. So I was speculating in the wrong direction. Shout out to Tyson Pedro. We'll be looking forward to that come Saturday night. But Luke Bellator has a loaded weekend as we talked about on Wednesday. Uh, It's a card tonight. Friday on Showtime, and it's an even deeper card. Come tomorrow night, Saturday night, Luke, because i got some computer issues. Oh, we're reloading here. Okay. Uh, Luke, Bellator 278 will be this evening only on Showtime in the States, and we're going to contend there for that 125-pound women's championship. Juliana Velasquez a minus 160 favorite in the main event. She won the title for Malima leigh She, at 35, appears to be finding out how great she could be against the battle-tested gorilla herself, Liz Carmouche, a plus 140 underdog. Carmouche was on HQ yesterday with our boy, Hakeem Dermish. Luke, she's a pioneer. And as we talked about Wednesday, the spirit, the energy, the violence she showed in dispatching Kata Watanabe in the first round to secure this title shot, it feels like a different gorilla. Will that, will that version be walking into the Bellator cage in Hawaii tonight, Luke?
0: Dude, this is a very, you know, I'm not going to say easy, but there is a somewhat simple way to look at this. In the Velasquez fight against Kielholtz, which was her last one, which was very narrow and very controversial in the scoring. I thought Velasquez may have done it in the end, but one of the things that Kielholz was able to do, among a number of other things, was um, she was able to keep up enough offensive volume both in terms of, you know, any kind of clinch scenario, uh, uh, not just sort of striking at distance or on the ground or whatever. So what I'm trying to point out here is, we see it here against uh, Watanabe, she was able to open up. I'm telling you right now, this stands sort of obvious because everyone saw the Shevchenko fight or whatever, and they were like, Jesus, you're not doing anything. Dude, very simply, Karmush cannot win if she does the Shevchenko fight over again. Not just because that's very difficult to beat anyone, but because, dude, Velasquez has a good jab she is strong in the clinch, maybe not quite as strong as Carmouche, but she's not physically super overmatched here is what I would say. Overmatched maybe, but not super overmatched. And is just going to be real technical and disciplined with her footwork and will not be afraid to throw. Carmouche, I'm not saying she was afraid to throw. I, I, I don't know what was happening earlier or what made the switch to the last fight. I'll just say this. If she's not offensively active, if she's kind of yes. throwing and moving and not doing a whole lot she cannot win. So what you need to see here from Liz Carmouche, and maybe by the way BC, maybe not even in the striking department, but this is what I'm talking about, level changing, punching your way into the clinch, trying to look for takedowns. If she's taking her time with her offense, I'm not saying rushing is the answer, but if she's not if she is taking her time with her offense, she cannot win. She cannot win. You cannot beat a fighter this good, this much in their prime, this well-rounded, this strong, this dialed in with half the amount of volume it does not work so
1: that's really the only way to understand this I love that you're like you know if Carbouche fights the way she did in the Shevchenko rematch which was not at all Luke <laughs> she can't really win the title this time I would agree with that if she stands on the outside and doesn't throw it's well, not I mean, going to be that a good was an night.
0: exaggerated example but what I mean to say is no know, I know what you're saying but yeah. let
1: me let me spin it back into a question then. Um, uh, I want to get to Carmouche in a second, but let's stay with the champion here, Velasquez. You did bring up a good point the split decision win over Keelholtz in her first title defense. It was a close but clear decision win against uh, the cha- the former champion, uh, Lima Lay McFarlane. Like, I want to know how good Velasquez is, and certainly she's a very good sh- counter striker when you come at her, but are there enough holes you think in her game that Carmouche could exploit?
0: Sure, sure. And this is why I think getting a strong start is important because what you saw in the Kielholz fight. A lot of different things. But the one I wanted to point out was she was able to make adjustments late. She was able to make adjustments from what was not working in the first round to finding some avenues. and they were simple ones. They weren't, you know they weren't especially sophisticated, but she still had enough to transition from something that wasn't working and to figure out what does. Errol Spence did that against everyone, but they did it against Ugas. the difference is that Errol Spence can do it like that. I mean, he takes one yes. or two rounds and he's already gone and you fuck your life, you're done. It took Velasquez a little bit longer, but she was still able to do it. This is what I mean. Dude, Velasquez is going to have one or two or maybe even three game plans for you. So if you take away the first one, it may you know take away some time, but she'll come around to the second. You have to start strong. You have to start strong. And Velasquez has very much got a Muay Thai sensibility about push kicks, moving forward, not just a jab to jab and move, but jab and push. You've got to push her backwards. Kielholtz was able to do a lot of that, get inside the distance, get inside the range, and then catch Velazquez in these openings that she wasn't seeing. She doesn't have, by the way, the best head movement in the world. So this is, I mean, really, this is a winnable fight for someone like Carmouche, given her what we know of the, the best of what we've seen from her and and in this weight class that that's a good space for her. This is winnable if and only if, if and only if, at some point, relatively early into the fight, she pushes into it and drives uh, and drives Velazquez backwards, really gets inside of that range. If she doesn't do that, if she sits at the end of the reach of Velazquez, it is hopeless.
1: Well, I'm with you in saying she's got to press the action on the feet to make things happen. I will say, though, that Velazquez is better when people are coming at her, so there's going to have to be some nuance in the way she sets it up. But, Luke, I want to talk about where Gorilla is. 38 years old lives Carmouche. She's fought for a major title three different times. Let's not forget she lost a strike force Women's Bantamweight Championship out to Marlos Conan back in 2011, a year after she turned pro. Luke, she won six fights in her debut year in 2010. She went on to lose two different UFC title fights, of course the one with Rousey at Bantamweight, and then moved down against Shevchenko. I mean, we do rightfully look at her as a pioneer. Maybe she didn't fight as early as, you know... Matafari or cyborg did but she was involved in some pretty big early big fights and she's still here how feel good would this be how big would this be for her to be able to to potentially end her run with a major title the bellator women's flyweight championship i mean would this would have you know as a fellow marine luke this would have to make you feel good for a fighter who never stopped grinding
0: yeah she and i have talked about um being in the marine corps several times um And yeah, I would love, I mean, I'll always cheer for former Marines always, man. So like, it would be, it would be great to see her, um, hoist a trophy in part because, you know, not that she'll be forgotten, but it's like, oh, she was one half of the first women's fight in the UFC. Yeah. And she lost it and she had these other title shots and stuff, but she lost them. It would be nice to see like a crowning achievement more than like these next to, uh, situations or next to achievement. And the other thing I'd say is you mentioned something really important, 38 years old, man, that is, that is old. That's old yeah. for fighting in any weight class except for men's heavyweight. You know, to be this age, this long in the tooth, to get the title shot is pretty impressive by itself. But to be this age and to win a title at that level of the game, I mean, that's, that's like, I'm not, I don't know if that's Randy Couture level because I know he was in the 40s, but I'm saying relatively speaking for what we know about the women's game, I can't recall someone yeah, even being close to I, mean, I, I don't know how old Megumi Fujii was at the end of her run, but this it would be remarkable, 38 years old to do something like this given where she's been and BC to the point we've raised where we thought she was shot maybe after the Shevchenko fight. We were just like I don't know what what's going on here, but then she really turned it around in the last contest. I'll say of course that uh, Watanabe is not at all what she's facing here, Velasquez is a very different animal, but um dude that would be it would be it would be a feel good story in many ways and it would be remarkable athletically for her to be this competitive this late into her career.
1: Yeah, I I I'm, I'm going to give her the credit Luke. She's done a lot and she could have you know given up at different points but she's still grinding. She did 3 tours of duty by the way in Iraq during her 5 year run in the Marines as an aviation electrician. She's been very early and outspoken Luke of of um of you know gay rights and being an open uh, lesbian very early in her career she's 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 a very sound solid respectable fighter i'd love to see her get that chance and put her best foot forward and try to get this this crown to close her career we'll see what happens
0: and one last one last reminder that folks may not appreciate you know when i think she enlisted into the marine corps they were not allowing women in um in combat arms billets which means you couldn't be you weren't you weren't allowed to be unless you were doing like, your, you know, uh, admin shit. You weren't allowed to be attached to a grunt unit or an, or a combat arms unit. I guarantee if she enlisted today where they relax
1: some of those rules, she would be the first one on the front lines for the infantry school. So remember that. Absolutely. Uh, good fight, Luke. I, I think Harmouche is a live dog. But again, as we said, she's got to be offensively aggressive. One thing, though, she did say this week, Luke. Was that she believes that Velasquez's judo just doesn't match up with her grappling ability on the ground, and she she's said multiple times if Juliana wants to take this there, she's going to have a problem. So we'll see. Mm. As much as we want to see her push the pace on the feet, can she get long stretches of control on the ground? That could be big over this five-round bout for Carmouche Luke, we've got uh, we've got potential play. Now look, this I don't know if something happened on the scale. But I'm being told here that this co-main event, Nikita Mikhailov, the last-minute replacement against Enrique Barzola, is now a catchweight bout of 140. I don't know if that affects its standing as a play-in bout to this Bantamweight World Grand Prix. But I am looking forward to that fight, just as the one you mentioned as well, Jornel Lugo against Danny Sabatello, as we have two potential play-in bouts here to get into this tournament with the fallout of Sergio Pettis' injury. So, um... Hey, Luke, it's it's putting a focus on fights that maybe you wouldn't have focused on, okay? I'll
0: say it one more time. If you guys missed Wednesday's show, Jornel Lugo and Danny Sabatello, that's the one you want to pay attention to. That is, by a million miles, the best fight on this card, and it's not close.
1: Okay. Luke, let's go to Saturday Night Bellator 279. Same location here. Honolulu, is it? And Luke, I don't know. I've been, I've been banging something, maybe a drum. I'm trying to tell you that Anger Fist is coming on. A massive, a massive betting underdog is... Arlene Blanco in her third attempt at a Bellator World title, second time facing Chris Cyborg in just the last couple of years. Cyborg now down to a minus 1,000 betting favorite. She was wider, plus 650 for Arlene Blanco. Uh, Luke, you know the odds, the history will tell you that sooner or later within the first couple of rounds, Cyborg will get the finish here. How does Blanco change that script? Because I've been saying, go for it, guns blazing, no regrets It can be easier said than done against a puncher of Cyborg's stature in history. But I have to believe if Arlene cannot make fireworks here, this is going to go disastrous.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't know how Blenko wins this if she tries to fight super strategically. You know, Cyborg has really worked on her game. Her footwork is great. Obviously, she's got the gas tank for the whole five if she needs it. We know about her power punching. We know about her takedowns. We know about her ground to pound. Like. You know, you want to just try and fight, like a fight wherever it just kind of goes attitude where you hear a lot of fighters say, dude, Cyborg's going to tune her up, and quickly. I actually feel like you're half right. Actually, I'll say this, BC. I think you're 75, 80% right, which is what, here's what I mean. To the point I just raised, sitting at the end of Cyborg's jab and just getting eaten alive is going to do nothing for her. But I think if you're just recklessly brawling, you could win, but that won't work. What I mean is, if I'm Blenko's team, I am charging in, finding ways to get takedowns without getting hit on the entry, shoving Cyborg against the fence, and then trying to blitz her with punches off the clinch break. Because I do think that you have to just get Cyborg to open up and trade with you. That's really the only way you're going to get to find her defense be lax, at least given Blenko's skill set. And that's risky because Cyborg is the bigger puncher of the two and could probably hammer her. But BC, I don't really know what the great alternative is. I'm just going to strategically find my way to beat her for five rounds or three of five rounds. No. She can't. The power punching's too strong. The wrestling's too strong. The ground and pound's too strong. And you she's have an to efficient get...
1: puncher, Luke. Yeah. If you I'll, 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 stand. Last, stand thing, last thing, last
0: thing, last thing, last well, thing. I'm, I'm giving just it to you.
1: I'm giving it back to you. I'm saying if you stand a distance with Cyborg, she's too technically strong. This isn't Strike Force Cyborg anymore, you know?
0: That's right. Dude, You basically, the, the issue is this you have to get Cyborg to make a mistake. You have to get, it's not just finding an opening. You have to get her to make a mistake. The one thing we've kind of seen is that she'll, she's willing to trade sometimes kind of head chin in the air. That's not, you know, not the super commonest thing, but it can happen. You got to pull that out of her because if you don't, again, I just don't know what the path to victory is.
1: You know, that old saying, you hang around a barbershop long enough, Luke, you're going to catch a a haircut. (laughs) Parents used to say that, like if you hang around with those kids in your grade that do drugs. Eventually you're going to do drugs. Uh It's sort of like me, Luke, I don't stand in front of gas stations anymore for long periods of time because I'm going to end up grabbing a bun and a wiener, right? I mean, that's just how it works. My liver can't take that shit. Cyborg's one, you know, spot on the Death Star that can cause the explosion is she loves to brawl. And Nunes took that chance. Obviously, no one, very few others in this world are Amanda Nunes who have the chin and the delivery system and the power to do what she did, which is shock Cyborg and knock her out. But eventually, Luke, somebody's going to take that blueprint and they're just going to say, they're going to say, fuck it, Luke. They're going to Tom Cruise risky business this shit. Kind of what Juliana Pena did to Newness, right? Which is just like, no matter what, this is my chance and there's only one way for me to get it. And it's going right up to that door, knocking on it, kicking it in and fucking taking over okay the, i think the advantage for blanco is that she already just lost the way you said trying to out her trying to do her game plan like we always get on um lauren murphy right for the shevchenko fight because you, know, you know i'm just gonna be me you can't be you against the great ones right you have to go in the direction of their weakness be bold and ridiculous and go after it it's not an easy job okay at all but Arlene Blanco, does she have the foundation to try this? Yes. She has angry fists, Luke. Okay. She's got a pro boxing background. If 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 she's not going after it in round one and trying to make this a war, doesn't have to be reckless, doesn't have to be hands down, but you gotta push that pace. Almost the same thing we're saying about Carmouche, but different. You've got to be bold as shit, and you gotta make Cyborg realize that this is a fight, because that's where the openings will be. Does Arlene have to bite down? Yes. Does she have to land big strikes? Yes. Is it a losing battle in terms of, you know, what you would recommend for her? It could be. It could be a disastrously disastrously bad one. But you're not going to win trying to out-technique, out-think, Cyborg. You got to bring the fight to her. We will find out, Luke. I'm by no means predicting an upset here. But I'm saying if she can make this a fun fight, this could be interesting. We'll see. Saturday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. But Luke, this card is much deeper than just that title main event on Showtime, and of course, we're talking about the Bell- Bantam- Bellator Bantamweight World Grand Prix. We got play-in bouts on Friday. We've got real fights on Saturday. Juan Archuleta, the former champion, sliding in as a plus 205 underdog here. It's going to be for the interim title now that Sergio Pettis is injured and removed, and he's taken on Rafion Stotts Minus 255. Luke, Stotts could not be coming into this any hotter than putting it on Magomed Magomedov in that three-round grappling heavy but he also showed that he can strike uh how does archuleta win this though right how does he do it luke the way he always
0: does he will have to rely on that gas tank which is tremendous he's gonna have to rely on his entries the distance management and then what i i i I like to say his style is like jousting He stays away, he's moving laterally, and then he does a blitz up the middle or at an angle or whatever the case may be. That's what he really has to do. He has to get back to, you know, the Juan Archuleta way of doing things. And Stotz's job is to, I mean, how did Sergio Pettis deal with that? Sergio Pettis dealt with that because he could either stop the takedown, see it coming, or he could time and recognize the entries from Archuleta. And then he was able to basically counter-strike him and tore him up from it. It was one of the most... It's, that is the best performance I've ever seen from Sergio Pettis was the way he yes. beat Juan Archuleta, right? Pretty clearly. So Stotts has two options. One, you can go that path, right? Let's see what happens if you can try and time him. Maybe he will. Or the other one is Archuleta's takedown defense is good and his motor is good, but Stotts has very good um, positional control, very good ways of not stalling a fight, but stabilizing a fight, stabilizing all the variables and then controlling it and then having some success in terms of you know um, you know having uh, positioning himself between the fence and his opponent and getting control with a leg ride stuff like that that's what he's got to do here a little bit now against Magomedov yeah, he, he went sort of back and forth with it but I think against a, a guy like Archuleta is too experienced I think still too fast and still has a great great gas tank you can't just leave him space unless you're a sharpshooter is Stotts a sharpshooter? I don't think so. So I think he's gonna to have to go the other direction. But it'll be curious I'll be curious to see what, what he, he does here.
1: Yeah, Stotz is coming on at thirty three years old. Uh Duke Rufus team, but what we talked about him stepping away from that because he thought he was p- facing Sergio Pettis for the title. Then the tournament gets dropped in. But Luke, seventeen and one overall is Rafion Stots. He hasn't lost since that twenty seventeen spinning vac fist knockout to Marab Devalashili, who is certainly uh on his own run. It's been what, Luke, since then? Uh, nine straight victories? It took us a while to sort of realize he was coming on this strong, but he is. Um, but when you think of this matchup, you go, okay, Stutz is the, you know, is the probably the better wrestler. He, he I didn't think he was going to out-wrestle Magomedov at, at the, some of the easier turns he made it Look by stuffing all of those takedowns. But look, Archuleta can wrestle. I didn't realize until really digging deeper that he was a junior college All-American. He got a scholarship to Purdue, And according to Wikipedia, he succumbed to alcohol addiction and crime and ended up serving jail time. Mm -hmm. But boy, has he turned this around. I guess I didn't think of that foundation he has in amateur wrestling because I think of him as such a high volume, high cardio striker. How do you think the wrestling and the takedown defense of both ends up influencing the outcome of this fight?
0: So you're seeing some of it here. What's it going to look like? Stotts is real good about you. in this for the Mega Medoff fight, stopping the takedown and then you saw an ankle pick here. He was able to hit in reverse and then go to the back. He's going to have to do that here. So it's not like if a takedown fails by Archuleta, he's going to have to find a way to disengage relatively quickly because the longer they're locked up in that kind of position, the worse I think it could actually be for him. But you're right about his wrestling. Like no one ever talks about it because he just has so much he does on the feet with the motion and the blitzing and the jousting and everything else. That folks forget about it but dude his takedown defense is solid and his takedowns are dynamite when he wants them especially when he gets going and he can get his feet and his speed under him yeah he runs down these blast doubles that are pretty amazing so the key there will be to find moments where the striking has already worked a little bit and Stots is reasonably confused about what is coming if he just runs him down like megamedov was there trying to get a little bit desperate with it i think Stots is going to be a real big problem for him it's really about how he sets him up first with the striking or how he deals with Stotts potentially trying to
1: take him down early on as well. well That'd be a very interesting test. Uh, Stotts, the betting favorite, as I mentioned, I, we talked to Wednesday. Somebody is going to really ring the bell in terms of who's going to come out as the early one grabbing the attention in this tournament. We like Horiguchi potentially as sort of an on paper favorite despite the loss to Pettis. And Luke, he's going to get that chance one fight earlier. Horiguchi, a minus 225 betting favorite against the plus 185. Patchy Mix, who, of course, fought for the vacant title and lost to Juan Archuleta a few years back, but has, a, would you call Patchy Mix a sublime grappler, Luke?
0: Yeah, he's good. He's a very good grappler and a dedicated one, too. Like, the results speak for themselves. Like, he hunts for the finish. Like, there are guys who are like grapplers, and again, in that sort of stabilizing positional way, dude, Patchy Mix is trying to threaten you at all times. He's, he's dangerous.
1: Are we overlooking, though? in saying Horiguchi might be the best in this mix, even with Sergio Pettis pulling out. Maybe that, you know, I think even before that, because he was piecing up Sergio until the dramatic knockout. Are we overlooking the fact that, you know, physically you get knocked cold, Luke? You know, there's a price to pay physically. Horiguchi back pretty quick here to try to remind us how great he is.
0: Yeah, he really is. Dude, this is like, uh, listen, if Patchy Mix is at his best and Horiguchi is at his best, it's a little hard for me to see how Mix is going to win. Possible, but a little hard for me to see. But the question is, like, with that knockout, what does that do to him? Now, we, we've seen him get stopped before against Kai Sakura and then coming back in and then showing more resolve. But this knockout was worse than that one. And, you know, this is not an easy return fight at all. Pachi Mix is a difficult guy who has finally put some veteran experience under his belt, has gone into hostile enemy territory, for example. I do think Horiguchi, especially with sort of the Japanese influence in Hawaii to an extent, will probably be treated as something like the hometown guy. We'll see. But the point I'm trying to raise here is, there's a lot of questions about Horiguchi in this one. What is he going to look like mentally? What is he going to look like physically? Is he going to be even more defensive than he was the last time? Will he win but be really boring? Like What, what Like what happens here is a really important question. So I'll say it again. If Horiguchi is back to where we understand Horiguchi to have been, tough night for Patchy Mix. But
1: who the fuck knows? Because that was a yeah. devastating knockout loss in his last freaking fight. Yeah, you look at how freaking battle-tested Horiguchi is, how few times he's actually been defeated across such a long career he's only 31 still luke i mean damn you know he's been his record is is nearly flawless at every stop every major organization he's come across you know beating darian caldwell in back-to-back fights to win the bellator and risen titles and and you know even i mean what was his only blemish before that demetrius johnson in the last second of a fly on title bout so this guy's the credentials speak for itself this is the i would say look on this card I think Horaguchi is is the draw, Luke. In terms of what what, what is yes. going to pique my interest the most, most I got to see what Horaguchi looks like coming after that. That now, look, obviously, I think you know you're going to make your picks. You're going to pick Horaguchi and stats. That's just what it is. But these are winnable fights for Archuleta and Mix, and I'm fired up Saturday night to see this, Luke. I will be on CBS Sports HQ duty afterwards. Are you doing an instant? Reaction to Bellator 279, Luke? Is that true? I am.
0: I will be live after the fights on Saturday night for Bellator
1: 279 reaction. So join me live then. All right, you're going to have a live reaction, as we mentioned, for Tyson Fury and Dillian White with myself, you know, around 6, 6.30-ish Eastern time on Saturday. And obviously after the late night Bellator 279, you can dance with Luke Thomas as well. Uh, Luke, do you have any other comments on this card? Uh, we love that Emmanuel Sanchez, Yancey Medeiros Potential slugfest, which currently is on the undercard, but um, how much do you think yancey has left? Because he's gonna be fighting in front of the home crowd. You got Emmanuel Sanchez moving up in weight, dude. This screams accident at the intersection, okay, of Albuquerque. Only there's no pregnant women, Luke. This is gonna be fantastic.
0: See, here's the thing. I actually feel like Emmanuel. I don't. I haven't seen the odds. I would imagine Sanchez is the favorite, but he's coming off a minus three eighty. Minus, minus 380,
1: 380 yeah. favorite is Sanchez. Wow! But I'll
0: say this about Sanchez, bro. He lost to Pitbull via guillotine choke. Then he lost to Mads Brunel. Okay, Mads is really good. And then he lost to Jeremy Kennedy, who is also really good, but maybe doesn't have quite the reputation certainly not that Pitbull does, or even Mads Brunel. And he got out-wrestled in that one. I think he was just like, you know what? Fuck this. And he's going up against Yancey Medeiros, who is much more of a risk taker, much more of an open striker in many ways. One of the nicest guys in all of MMA. Truly, I did like a... I did like a scrum with him one time. And then the next time I had, oh, I had him in studio the next time I interviewed him, and he brought me cupcakes, like just to be nice. I was like, wow, holy shit. I've never had a fighter bring me cupcakes. That's very nice of you, Yancey Medeiros. Nicest guy on earth. But you know, obviously, much more of a risk taking open style. So if Sanchez is really disciplined and wants to just wrestle with him, it's a tough fight for Medeiros. But who the fuck knows what Sanchez looks like. Three consecutive losses up a new weight class. It's an interesting fight. And don't forget, Medeiros back in Hawaii, where he is from, fighting in front of the hometown crowd. They're going to be cheering him like
1: crazy in this contest. So this will be a fun one for sure. Yeah, looking forward to it. And as Luke would say, whenever he's asked to make a prediction, who the fuck knows? Not me, Luke, okay? I only can see the future on certain fights. I knew Ngana was going to wrestle, apparently. Oh, my. Who the fuck am I, Luke? Oh, I'm an award-winning co-host. That's who I am, biatch. You're uh, just Luke, Joey. Co-host. Joey Beltran got knocked out last night in BKFC in like 23 seconds. So, tough to see that. You know I'm a big team Beltran fan. But I had Luke, no there idea was... there was BKFC last night. Yeah, yeah, Fort Lauderdale. How about that? But, Luke, I am here to tell you about Wednesday night's kickoff to the new season for the PFL. Damn, was that cage smart as they, as they took it down there, Luke. In the main event, we saw... The well-traveled Clay Collard and Jeremy Stevens moving up in weight from his featherweight glory in the UFC, making his PFL debut at lightweight. Luke, it goes down as a three-round, 30-27 to 27 across the board. Unanimous decision for this guy, Cassius Clay Collard, who won't stop being tough as dirt and winning big fights. Luke, I watched that this morning, a hell of a scrap, and here's what I have to tell you about it. I have a lot of good things to say about Clay Collard and how he won this, but how about that dude's freaking whiskers? Jeremy Stevens hit him with like three or four home run fight ending overhand rights. And your boy, Clay Collar, just kept coming on. Should we stop calling this guy fun two-sport journeyman now? Is he now an established player?
0: Um, Someone asked me on my live chat yesterday, would I call him world class? No, I don't think you can call him world class. But he's definitely, his winning is not accidental. It's not accidental. It's not like he keeps getting these lucky breaks or something like that. Like the fact that he got a couple of upsets in boxing, you can see, dude, because he is durable as shit. It doesn't deter him mentally. And so, if you get one of these inexperienced guys, we're like, oh, if you look at Clay Collard's skill on tape, we you we think our guy is better, right? But does your guy have more guts? Does your guy have like the kind of will needed to face an opponent who is simply? Not going to be intimidated by what you're offering him. I, that's a very different question, especially if they're you know younger. In the case of Jeremy Stevens, dude, I, I, Jeremy Stevens is a known power puncher, um, and he couldn't he couldn't really put this guy. Well, he couldn't put him away at all. Actually, I mean, I'm you know I'm, I'm saying he couldn't you know substantively hurt him. It, it was remarkable what he was able to show. So I still think we shouldn't oversell exactly what the ability is, but I'll say he's got good ability matched with outrageous toughness and. A total willingness for battle, and that itself becomes a much more potent combination than what folks focus on, which is just the skill set.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much longer you could te- keep taking big shots and rebound like this. I mean, he lured Anthony Pettis last season into a brawl and outlasted him, and it was wild. This was less less wild in terms of the big swings of, of nature, but what it was in this case, Luke, was. Jeremy Stevens, as I mentioned, trying to get inside. I thought Jeremy Stevens' leg strike game was strong. So Clay Collard had to endure constant calf strikes. He ate some big punches, but look how he won it is he's just a big tough out. He's a great combination puncher. We know the boxing background. And he just constantly refuses to take a step back and get overwhelmed. And why he's coming forward, he's mixing in body shots. He's throwing the big combinations. I know we're watching highlights from his win against Pettis last season here, but Luke he was able to sort of match everything Jeremy Stevens had. And I think if you're you're Stevens, who put his arms up after thinking he might have won, but then found out he got shut out. I don't know what else Jeremy Stevens could have done, Luke. He hit the guy with his Sunday punch a few times. And here's Clay Collard fighting on through. And even though Collard lost a three-round close decision to Rauch Manfio, the defending champion last year, he might be in play here, Luke, as, as a contender for this PFL lightweight title we'll see how it goes forward but that's one hell of a win it is super
0: great super great win to beating stevens fresh off the ufc and then beating pettis basically fresh off the ufc that's impressive
1: i'm telling you all right the co-main event luke was the aforementioned defending champion haush manfio from brazil and he went in there against your boy don madge from south africa you had said luke look this guy's coming on and for two rounds don madge had some big moments. Look how deep of a of a reference would it be f- to make a a Madge I soaked in it late eighties uh, Paul Maligne commercial reference that it's just, no one no one in our audience would get that
0: right. Yeah, no one.
1: Well, look, he soaked me. in that L because Housh put it on him with a one. Well,
0: I mean, yes, it's an quitter. L, but dude, dude, hold on, Madge won the first two rounds cleanly. Like he showed his quality. No, no doubt about it. But in the third round, I'll give it to Manfio, dude. He doesn't have just big power; it carries late. Your margin of error with that motherfucker in the third round is not that great. And um, Madge paid for it. But like, I think if you walked away from that fight being like, "Oh, Luke said Madge was good. Madge is bad." You, that's not the takeaway here at all.
1: No, it's not. So I think the 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 rightful question should be. Forget Don Madge for a second, and we'll see if he can bounce back this season and still make some noise. Maybe even get back into a rematch with Manfio when things are all said and done. But Luke, how good is fucking House Manfio, the defending champion here?
0: <laughs> I have I have underrated this guy enough. Like you beat Don Madge the way you beat him, which you know you got you got almost say your ass kicked, but you lost that fight up until the third, and uh, then you just won all of a sudden. Power like that, dude. He's he's a force to be reckoned with because as I mentioned, he doesn't just have big power; it carries consistently in fights. In the later rounds, and he can absolutely snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. His his win of the season last season was in no way accidental. I'm telling you guys, you beat a guy the quality of Don Madge. It's not easy to do. So for me, if he wasn't your prohibitive favorite before, boy, he is now. I don't know who in the rest of this tournament I would point to as like, oh, that's the guy that's going to beat him. Who would it be? I I, I don't know who that is.
1: Uh, yeah, I I don't know either, Luke. Although he did need a split decision win Manfio over Anthony Pettis last year. Um, you know, and, and and I think the performance here from Clay Collard shows you that you'd be, definitely be interested in a Manfio-Collard rematch. But, Luke, as I look at this draw, Manfio gets four points. He's currently in first place in the division. you got Clay Collard. you got Alex Martinez, who won his debut fight. You also have OAM, Olivier Oban-Mercier, Luke, who had a very good-looking win to open this main card against Nathan Schultz. Uh, from brazil who is also a a a decorated pfl fighter so this could be a this could turn out to be one of the more fun seasons in terms of the divisions here in the pfl yeah natan
0: Schultz by the way one of these guys totally unheralded this fucker's won this tournament i think twice yeah you know what i'm saying like just just banking stupid checks he would never get in another organization that's all dude i'm telling you that's going to be a real big thing like these fighters who are like man i'm not even trying to worry about how many interviews i do or how many people stopped me in the airport for photos? I'm trying to get paid. I
1: I understand that completely. That's a smart way of going about it, totally. And uh so Oban Mercier took home a split decision over Nathan Schultz Luke. It was 29-28 on all three scorecards in the end. So the point here is that lightweight's got all these guys we mentioned, and Anthony Pettis, and you know, Jeremy Stevens and Don Madge trying to come back off losses and Miles Price from from Ireland. So this should be a fun sort of who comes out of here in the end. But, Luke, this card also, PFL won on Wednesday night, gave us Shoeface Face putting it freaking on. He was a monster betting favorite against DeLon Monte. Dude, he needed 29 seconds for yeah. a Bravo choke, Luke, just like that. Should we also start recalibrating how we talk about uh, Shoe Face, uh, Screw face there from um, Mark for Death with Steven Seagal? Well, at the same
0: time, you know, he's not fighting the same level of competition he was in the UFC. But, I mean, I, this is what I always try to tell people about, like, MMA. Like, there's lots of ways to appreciate lots of different kinds of quality. And it doesn't have to be the best quality every time. It just needs to be of a high quality. And there's no doubt about it. Shoeface is a high-quality fighter. He's a very, very good fighter. And his submissions are insane. And, um, you know, to get a Bravo choke is it's the same as an anaconda in terms of wrapping it up. But rather than the arm going around the neck first and tying up behind the lat, it goes behind the lat first and ties up around the top of the neck. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is, dude just has a full array of submissions and can snatch them very quickly. He's physical for the weight class, too. I think he's getting better. I love what he's doing right now, and good for him that he's getting paid, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Luke. Uh everything you whole. have a heart
0: attack from a text message or something?
1: Yeah, almost, but we're okay. We're okay. We're going to make it. Everything better. All right. Maybe we'll see what happens, Luke. Uh so the PFL uh, uh, had a, had a fun it, look. It wasn't bad, Luke. Okay, I, I, dude, I'm telling you, I like this announce team. I know I always forget Sean O'Connell's name as an ex-fighter transitioning now into a play-by-play role, but you know him and Randy Couture. Is Ken Flo still there? I don't remember hearing his voice.
0: Yes, yes, a, yes, he's still there. Ken I, Flo, Randy, and then um, Sean, who okay. won the whole thing.
1: I pulled the Luke Thomas and had the volume down as I was uh, watching these fights, but. Uh, a strong opening statement here we'll see as the season continues. Luke, uh, we got to be relatively quick today because I've got a uh, a big-time CBS Sports HQ hit, apparently, after this show wraps. But we do one other segment to close out Friday's. G- uh, MorningCombat at gmail.com is this email address for you to watch our show, maybe disagree with something we say, and then have the balls to grab your receipt, step up to the plate, and tell us you're dead wrong. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Luke, we'll start with this. Um, this is from a fellow named MHD. He says at 40 minutes of the post-fight show for Bellator 277, that was last Friday, Luke, me, and the drug rug, uh, BC was sitting there in his shorts showing his BDE, and he said that Aaron Pico lost his pro debut to Ian Freeman ian freeman's last fight was, was in zach 2013 freeman. what bc wanted to say was zach freeman keep up the amazing work bc and may all of your package stay hidden <laughs> okay that's that's well done luke that's that's i'll take that out okay i will Fair take enough. that out all right i always wanted the rematch there between him and pico did you
0: yeah zach freeman i uh, used to call in on my radio show all the time the dude still does what he does i was still like laying carpet or whatever um He's just a regular old dude. He yeah. Better fighter than he ever got credit. But, um, yeah, that'd be, well, I mean, at this point, I don't know what kind of sense that would make. But at the time, it was a bad, bad fight for Pico. Jesus.
1: Most legends fade away and they're laying something, Luke. Your brother-in-law, Pipe. That's what he's laying, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know. <laughs> You're an idiot. Wow. All right. <laughs> All attempts at comedy are met with a with a closed door. That's great. Uh, this is from Callum. During Mondays, have you seen this shit? When speaking about Chris Barnett's spanish heritage meaning he was born there in spain bc mentioned that michael bisping was born in germany bc you're dead wrong he was in fact born in the island of cyprus luke i'll take that L. you're right i guess you're right i i I just always thought for some reason it was germany in the back of my mind
0: oh pop quiz name another fighter from cyprus who fought in the ufc can you do that no I can do that. I forget. Hold on. Uh, it was uh, Constantine. What was his name? He fought Luke Rockhold in Georgia, in Covington, Georgia, oh, really quickly. Not it Constantine was, Popa, uh, uh, former no, Costas Philippou. center from Costas, Miami. Costas Philippou. Costas Philippou. Costas
1: Philippou. I remember that fellow. Yes, yes. He yes. was from Cyprus. That was, that was back when Luke Rockhold was good,
0: Luke. Yeah, he, was, he was the man at that time, yeah. He was
1: pretty damn good, I'll tell you that much. Uh, Adam says, good day, donks. On Monday, very serious and very well done breakdown of the Daniel Kinahan shout-out by Munir Laze and MMA media's role. Of course, of course, they're referencing Luke's extra credit video that you can catch on YouTube right now. Luke decided to extend a quote, olive leaf before going into more oh. detail. I can understand why Luke might want to decrease the amount of peace he is extending in this situation, but the saying is extending an olive, olive branch. branch. Yes, yes. I get it, Luke, you had no sleep. Your kid woke you up by jumping directly on your nuts. You were hungover from the Michelob <laughs> Ultra on the plane the day before settling into that Delta eight seat and you were holding back the geyser of shit you needed to expel during the recording. But Luke dead wrong is still dead wrong. Wow. Yeah, well done, yeah. Adam. That's, yeah, that's a great okay. one.
0: That's a great one. I said it wrong. I'll <laughs> These take guys that are three out.
1: for three so far. All yeah, right, dude, here we this go. This is from... a good
0: addition. We're, we're getting fucking smacked
1: around here. This is Paul from Texas. He claims he's the guy with the bad Kimura grips, but wins from the fan subs a while back. I don't know what that means. Luke. Uh, During episode 291, BC stated that Antonio Carlos Jr. shared that he paid more in taxes from his 2021 PFL season than his UFC earnings the previous year. It's a correction here. Carlos shared that he paid more in taxes than his whole UFC career of seven years. So I got that wrong. Luke. Shoeface continued in sharing that his 2021 PFL earnings doubled what he made in his seven-year e- UFC career because of his lowly U- Ultimate Fighter contract. That's right. This he is was
0: per- on a 10-fight deal from the Ultimate Fighter or either Brazil, I think. I mean, what the fuck, you know?
1: This is per the MMA Junkie article from the Latin BFF of the show. What does Latin BFF mean? Oh, Danny forever. Segura. They're saying from your Latin BFF, Danny oh, Segura. Oh, yes, yes.
0: Danny Segura yeah. is, in fact, my Latin BFF, yes.
1: And this man says... uh just missed you guys in Arlington last week. Much love. It's Paul. Thank you, Paul. Okay. What is this? Longhorns. Is Arlington, thing, Texas sucks, dude. I mean, it wasn't money, as you would say, Luke. Just like I told you, Tampa was good, and then you were like, "Tampa ain't money." Okay,
0: Tampa is a lot better than Arlington. I didn't. Then people like, were like, "I love Tampa." I didn't love Tampa, but I
1: like St. Pete. Really, to be fair, St. Yeah, Pete's
0: yeah. Mine. I hear St. I see Pete. I'm just telling you, Arlington, Texas. Fuck that place. Blows.
1: All right, finally this is Danny saying hello Luke and BC while talking about Jessica Andrade, uh her record at about 13:30 of Wednesday's show, Luke states how strong her record is at 125. Then goes on to name Rose 1 and 2 and Wei Lee <laughs> as 125 fights. Sorry pal, those took place at 115. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. dead wrong. All right. Okay. Uh, I didn't mean to do that, but yeah,
0: if I did that, I'm super fucking wrong. So, very
1: respectful presentations of our errors there by our team there. So, uh, thank you very much. You should see the people
0: who wrote me after the video I made on Lazez and Kinahan. I got a lot of unhinged emails. Let me tell you.
1: People supporting organized crime, Luke?
0: Kind of. Yeah. A lot of people who have failed basic morality tests. Yes.
1: To be fair, though, Luke, we do in our society, usually through cinematic portrayals, worship the Tony Montanas of the world, the people who are able to break the rules of of normal law, create their own business in which there's, you know, drugs, money and murder. We tend to look at those guys as heroes. Luke, all the movies I watch are neo-noir crime thriller thrillers, which usually involve some badass villains. So maybe BC, it's Luke BC, society's fault. BC. Okay? I
0: love the East 1999 album from Bone Thugs and Harmony, especially the song Down 71, but I'm not going on any crime sprees because I like them. It's very, very easy to make a distinction there. Um, I'm not again, here
1: to defend Daniel, Luke, okay? You're just here to say that we love violence. We do as a society. Uh, Most people choose uh, wake up and choose violence. Unfortunately, Luke, we choose to give you an award-winning show, a show that is over right now. We got to run. It's BC and LT. Shout out, of course, to our great crew, Malcolm Showtime, CBS Sports. Uh, I think it was Corey and Long Island Luke on the ones and twos today, although they didn't jump in on that small screen and show us low-T charisma. Yeah, I mean, they're so good on camera, you know. They're probably so pissed. They're like, you guys forced us to come on camera. You're always trying to force us. We did. Um, now, in
0: fairness, we did try and force them on camera, but I don't know if that was, I mean, that maybe that was a good idea, BC.
1: Time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. Love those guys. Although, shout out to Gaff, who has a real day off today. Mikey Morms as well, my boys. Uh, Luke, that's it for the show. You can subscribe to Showtime. Go to Showtime.com. Get your 30 free days. Why not watch a Bellator weekend Boxing coming, all the great stuff you're going to get there. Our merch store, as you can follow and like us at those addresses below, is morningcombat.store. Look, at the very least, you may not agree with the designs, but it's high-quality merch, okay? That's the thing about RJ, Luke. He's not giving you those T-shirts that, like, one wash, and they're falling apart. You know what I'm saying? We're no. washed, but not the clothing,
0: okay? That's Thank right. Thank you very we're, much. We, are, we were uh, ridden hard and put away wet. These clothes are fresh and crisp.
1: All right, quick reminder, Saturday Dinner time on the East Coast, BC live reaction from Tyson Fury, Dillian White later Saturday night following the conclusion of Bellator on Showtime. Luke Thomas going to recap, I'm sure, both nights of Bellator and hit all the high notes for you so that we are we are morning combat. We win awards. We're fantastic. We're, I mean, we're fucking incredible, Luke. It's great, right? It's so good. It's we're so good, right? We're good. Yeah, we're I mean, how good. fun is it hosting this show, Luke, right? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I yeah, have a it's good time that not bad, right. And all we got right. a good
0: weekend of fights, so I'm happy.
1: For the great Luke Thomas, I am Brian Campbell. Enjoy the fights, spay your animals or something like that, and may all your hoes uh, leave you alone, Luke, because we're married. <laughs> we out. Yeah, yeah. Our kids have said to us since we've moved
0: to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.